Well, we have certainly come to what I would call a crescendo verse in the book of Hebrews, and that is Hebrews 13, verse 8. And this is a verse that maybe you didn't know where it was located, but you've heard it before. Well, here it is right before you. And I think that there would be many, many people who would say, uh, upon studying the book of Hebrews, that this is the theme verse of the book. Because remember, the book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ that he is supreme above everything else and everyone else. He is the one that we look to. He is the immutable God. And Hebrews 13.8 is a verse that we could say captures the uh, nature of who Jesus is, that he is God. We might say in the Hebrew, he is the Aleph Tav. In the Greek, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Another way that we could say this is that he is the creator the sustainer, and the consummator of history. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the the writer in chapter one, if you want to flip there with me really quick just to remind ourselves, said these words about Jesus as he opened the letter, uh, speaking to him being the creator and sustainer in one, two, and three. He says, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28, we'll come back to chapter 9 in a moment, but just take a peek at it. We have the creator, sustainer, and consummator. That means the one who will wrap things up. And it says in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ, also having been offered once, to bear the sins of many, 928, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. This would be the completion of our salvation, if you will, to those who eagerly await him. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the consummator. Jesus Christ is the one who holds it all together. And this book has really been elevating him above everything, above Moses, above Joshua, above David, above angels, anything else you can think of. In fact, at one point in this book, the father calls the son God and says, your throne, O God, will reign or last forever and ever. This book, the book of Hebrews, is all about the supremacy, uh, preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, between verses, uh, verse 8, there's two verses that talk about leadership, verses 7 and 9. Let me uh, tell you why I think it's sandwiched in this way. I think it's quite possible that this little church, uh, this little Hebrew church that was having difficulty going through some persecution, may have lost some leadership. They may have lost a leader to martyrdom. A leader might have moved on. And it's quite possible that a leader or two had been thrown in prison. In fact, if you look ahead in Hebrews 13, you can see see that the writer mentions Timothy and himself. Take a peek at the very end of the chapter. He says, 
23 of chapter 13, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. We would say released here from prison or jail with whom if he comes soon, I will see you. So the writer's saying, uh, Timothy's been released and if he comes, I'm gonna come with him. And then he asks that you greet all of your leaders and all the saints Those from Italy, praise the Lord, we knew why we love the book of Hebrews. Italy is mentioned in the book of Hebrews for all of you Italian fans. And then those from Italy uh, greet you. So leadership, let's talk a moment about leadership. Leadership is a variable in life. Now, in our culture, we know we have elections pretty regularly, right, for different offices every two and four years. And we have a form of government where we have a chance to elect leaders. And if leaders are not doing what they're supposed to do because they're supposed to serve us, I think we've forgotten that in politics these days, but they're supposed to serve the people, for the people, by the people, representative form of government, we have a chance to vote them out. And we know that the Bible talks about the Lord can you know, turn the king's heart and he raises up one and he puts down another. But what this says to us is basically this reality that change is inevitable for us as human beings. We go to work for a company and our coworkers change, right? Uh, sometimes people, you know, there's certain companies where it seems like every six months there's a new employee. One employee is gone, another employee comes in, right? And you're doing the same training with this new person, etc. People move into a neighborhood, they move out of a neighborhood. Uh, you know, people move into a state and move out of a state. And everybody just nod your head because California has been experiencing quite a departure, right? Uh, to different states, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, da, 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 right? But change comes and we, we have little kids and, and it's hard to imagine that one day this little baby that is like a little peanut size is going to grow, and, but they grow and, and all of a sudden you look back as a parent and time has just gone by and now they're uh, married and off on their own and grandkids come and, and things change. And, and the one thing that we know about this life is that it just is full of change, We're changing. Life changes. Things change. And one thing that was going on, I think, in this little Hebrew church is leadership change. And when leadership changes, often it can bring instability. Now, sometimes what happens is in a church or an organization, you have a leadership change, and it's as fluid as it could be. It really depends. But sometimes when a leader goes out, and perhaps some new leadership comes in, there's some instability. And and what you'll see in churches is that often when leadership changes, a bunch of people will leave and they don't even know why they're leaving, but they're so used to one leader that it's hard to accept a new leader. But here's what we do know. Things change. We only have a certain amount of time to live. We're gonna live. You know, generations come, generations go. We are born, we, we age, we die. (laughs) I mean, this is the inevitability of life. And we need to remember, says the writer of Hebrews, exhorting. Remember, we've had several exhortations in chapter 13. We've had exhortations about love. Look at verse 1 in chapter 13 about hospitality. We've had uh, an exhortation to remember prisoners. 
as though we were in prison with them, those who are ill-treated because we're one body. We were told to uphold marriage. Apparently some marriages were in some trouble uh, because God is serious about marriage. We were told to make sure that our character is free from the love of money, to be content. And then we had this amazing promise as we just recap last time. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now see the end of verse five where it says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never leave you. But it's obvious here in reading the end of the chapter that some leaders had left. We know Timothy had become imprisoned. We know the writer of Hebrews was not there. That's why he wrote the letter. And we know that some leaders, according to the tense of uh, the language in verse 7, remember those who led you. That seems like a past tense, like you're, you're thinking about a former leader uh, who spoke the word of God to you. These are past tense verbs. And so this leads uh, commentators to believe that the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to reflect on the solid leadership that you had in the past. And if you link that to the previous verse, the Lord is assuring that though things will change, we can confidently say, Hebrews 13, 6, the Lord is my helper. And then in Hebrews 13, 5, the very last part, the Lord says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Uh, people are going to leave us. Things are going to change. We may feel forsaken, um, but the 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 hard reality of life is that loss and change just does happen. But the Lord reassures us with a promise. Remember, I, I showed you last week, if you were with us at the end of the message, that the writer's quoting three Old Testament passages in these great promises in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. And they come from uh, Joshua 1, 5, Psalm 118, verse 6, and a verse in Deuteronomy, I think it's 31, 6. And just a side note that I heard another teacher mention that I think is a cool thing to think about. The writer of Hebrews applied Old Testament promises written to Joshua, Moses, and through the psalmist to the first century Hebrew church who lived over a thousand years beyond that time. I bring it up to point out something that you've probably heard before, and it's usually something like this. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And most of us have heard, now, 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 now. Don't be applying Jeremiah 29.11 to your life. You're not the original audience. That was written to the people of Israel in Babylonian captivity. That's not your promise. I was telling the prayer group uh, when John Corson, uh, I think he got in a, an accident. He was laying in a hospital bed. The Lord spoke Jeremiah 29.11 to him. He said he had never interacted with the verse before. He had never taught the verse before. He was laying in a hospital bed, and Chuck Smith called him. He picked up the phone and all Chuck did was quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to John Corson. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Here's what I want to point out. The Lord can take an Old Testament verse and quicken it to you. Now, you're not the original audience of that verse, 
And the direct application of that verse wasn't originally for you, but God can make it for you. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Now, you have to be careful. We all talk about, in uh, understanding the Bible, context, context, context. We all talk about being careful that we understand the original audience, the original context. Yes, 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 and amen. But it is quite possible that when you're going through something, the Lord might quicken a verse to your situation. He might give you something from Isaiah, something from Jeremiah, something from a psalm, and it becomes yours. And I would tell you, make it yours. Put it in your pocket. I'm not talking about abusing it or wrenching it out of its context, but I've had moments in my life, I'm sure you have as well, because I'm looking at a lot of serious Bible students here. You've been praying about something, you open your Bible and you feel like a verse leapt off the page. And then you say, was that really for me? Well, apparently the writer of Hebrews thought Joshua 1.5 and Psalm 118 verse 6 was for the Hebrew church. Do You see what I'm saying? So I'm saying we, we can take some liberty or some freedom in, yes, the Lord can do that. He can apply a verse in Joshua to you, a psalm, a proverb to you, to guide you or to build you or edify you in a moment where you need to hear from the Lord. I will tell you, there was a night I was actually sitting at my desk and I literally prayed these words, Lord, I need to hear from you. And I heard, you've got mail. And a friend sent me an encouraging Bible verse. And he told me that the Lord had put me on his heart and that verse on his heart and felt compelled to send it at that moment. The Lord knows who you are, where you are, and how to reach you, and what mail you may need to read. <laughs> Amen? So that can happen. Now, again, I will preface it by saying, be careful. You know, make sure you're, you're uh, double-checking things and all of that. But I also think there's a beauty in what the writer of Hebrews does right here. He's saying, look, you can apply this most beautiful promise. I will never leave you. I will never fail you or forsake you. You can make it yours. And I will tell you that these, this particular promise should be yours tonight. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You can claim that. That's yours. Amen? I, will, I can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I can confidently say the Lord will never leave me, nor will he ever forsake me. I can confidently say he is with me. He will not fail me or forsake me. In a world where change is inevitable, and the one thing that we know is going to happen is change, the Lord says, I won't fail you. I'm not going anywhere. Now, he says, I want you to remember those though, who led you and notice uh, what kind of leaders they, these uh, leaders were. They were those who spoke the word of God to you. I want you to remember the influential leaders of your life. Now, some of my influential, influential leaders are gone. Dr. Walter Martin who wrote The Kingdom of the Colts, is long gone. He died in the 80s. J. Vernon McGee died in the 80s. Uh, you know, recently, Charles Stanley passed away. Adrian Rogers went home to be with the Lord. We, we can, some of us who, who have been around for a long time and listened to Christian radio for a long time, we've lost a lot of good pastors, a lot of faithful men, a lot of men who I didn't know personally, but who poured the word of God into my life 
and some that are getting older, like Chuck Swindoll, for example. Did you hear Chuck Swindoll's story in the McDonald's drive-thru? Did you hear what it happened? He was in the drive-thru, and he said that there was a young person behind him and started getting impatient as he was about to order and honking the horn and kind of rushing him. So in an act of benevolence, he went up to the window and he decided to pay for her food. Uh, you know, so he paid for her, his meal and hers, and, and somehow it got announced to her by the other person at the window and she waved and was you know, very apologetic. And so he pulled up to get his food and he showed both receipts and he took his food and her food and forced her to go back through the drive through again. And he said the lesson that needed to be learned that day was don't honk at old people. We've been around a long time, and we know how to play the game. So uh, for what that's worth. Anyway, amen. So those who led you, those who spoke the word of God to you, I would tell you that any good leader in your life is going to be someone who speaks the word of God to you. Not their opinion, not just trying to give you, you know, uh, a motivational speech. Anybody can do that. But someone who's been faithful to the word of God, who's poured God's word in you, because his word is, chapter four of Hebrews, living and active and sharp, and it goes deep and it does its work. And so those are the ones that I want you to remember. Sometimes we quickly forget faithful people in our lives. I, I think back to a time when I was a younger Christian and I had some strategic men. Uh, one was an associate pastor named Bob Stemson. And I was in my 20s, I was a, a new Christian, but I had a lot of zeal and a lot of fire. And Bob did some one-to-one -one discipleship with me and poured into my life. And Bob was a great one-on-one -on -one, uh, discipler. He was the, the guy, if you were sick, you wanted Bob to visit you in the hospital. He wasn't a pulpit preacher, and he knew that wasn't his gift, but he was really good with people. And he took probably a good three months pouring into my life uh, the basics of the Christian faith. And I, I can tell you, uh, there was a, a woman named Beverly Parr. I preached for the first time in the church. I was I think, in my mid-20s at the time. And Beverly wrote me a note. And she was, the I think, the choir director at a church in Orange at the time. And she was a very godly woman, and she was very gifted in music. And she said, I believe that you're supposed to become a pastor. And I believe you have a teaching gift, and you need to follow it. And I held on to that note for a long time. And she was really an encouragement to me. And she's since gone home to be with the Lord uh, maybe you can reflect, some of you who have been Christians for years, of uh, faces that maybe you've forgotten about that, you know, long ago took some time, met you for coffee, did a Bible study with you, taught you the basics of the faith. I mean, these are things to celebrate. And the writer's saying, look, I know things are difficult right now, but I want you to think back on those who led you, verse 7, who spoke the word of God to you, and I want you to consider the result of their conduct. Now, they, they weren't just preachers of the word, but they lived the word. They conducted themselves in keeping with the word. And what's your point, you might say, writer of Hebrews? Well, you, my point is this. I want you to remember, consider, and imitate 
their faith. This is a, the, where we get the English word mimic their faith. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. It, it's good to have human leaders that uh, we make sure they're following Christ and then it's not, not a bad thing to link arms with someone who's seasoned and following the Lord, amen? It's good to have a mentor. It's good to have a discipler. It's good to have, you know, uh, there's a proverb that says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, Amen? If you keep companies, company with fools, you're going to be a fool. You keep company with the wise, you'll be wise. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. So it does matter um, who leads you, who you listen to. And of course, we're talking about the fact that leaders, though, they come and go. There's a memorial marker to John Wesley in Westminster Abbey, it bears the inscription, quote, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Memories of godly leaders help best when they turn us to the one who never changes and the one who never needs to be replaced. We've learned in the book of Hebrews that Jesus has a priesthood which will not be passed on to another. It's a permanent priesthood, right? according to the order of Melchizedek. There will never be a replacement for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, to skip ahead just for a moment to verse 9, I told you two verses about leadership, and there's more coming up, but we won't go there tonight. He says, "'Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings.'" The temptation when godly leadership, especially good uh, Bible teaching leadership, maybe gets replaced. Maybe someone coming in with some strange teachings comes in. Perhaps this is why some people were more tempted to apostatize or go back to uh, the old covenant. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Jesus Christ is really the face of grace, and it's good for your heart to be strengthened by the grace of God or the grace of Christ, not by foods. Now, that would remind us of the Judaizing heresy. For those of you familiar with the book of Galatians, there were Galatian, um, there was pressure on the believers, and they were being told, if you want to be a Christian, You've got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was largely about a menu. It was about foods, sacrifice to idols, about clean and unclean animals. And Jewish believers, who probably meant well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, were telling Gentile converts, non-Jews, you've got to eat this menu to be saved. You've got to get circumcised to be saved. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't you buy that for a minute. And of course, his audience here is Hebrew, but he's still saying, look, you're free. You don't need to be hung up on your diet. You need to be strengthened by grace. Jesus is the face of grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. I won't go there for the moment, but you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul says we are neither the worse or the better if we eat or we don't eat. 
Romans 14, Paul says, you're not the worse or the better if you worship on a Wednesday night, a Sunday morning, or a Saturday night. One man puts one day above another. Another man sees all days alike. Follow your conscience. Don't sin against your conscience. But if you feel free to eat that or worship on that night or that morning, you are free in Christ. Don't let someone tell 